Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. I'm Johnny. And I am Callum. And welcome to this episode. Three, two, one, let's jam. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I hate it when you do this. Well, you shouldn't sing. You're not allowed to it's sing. Really it's banned. It was, it was an introduction. It had thematic weight and meaning. Right. Are you going to behave if I turn your microphone back on? I'll be good. Okay. He treats me like a, like a child. <laughs> like a child he treats me. Well, when you prove that you don't need to be treated like a child... Then One of these can, days, the dog, the, will, the dog will bite back. You know that. You have no power. You have, don't have these don't have, don't have, have the way. Did you turn me back all the way up? Yes. Good. Good. For, for now. For now. <laughs> for now anyway on to things so for those of you that are new this is the untitled film podcast and what we do every week is we talk about two different movies or films or cinema or cinema adjacent things exactly and this these two things have a link one is new although in this week's case, it's the oldest thing we've done that is new. It's That's true. It's been old. it's been out for a while, and actually, like 10 I months. think the oldest the the older movie is the newest movie that we've done in an old in the old category because this film came out, I believe, in two thousand eight. Two thousand eight, yeah. So it was. So it, it, no, by far, it is the newest thing that we've done in the old category. Exactly, and they are connected by something. Um, that they means they have some similarities thematically or actory or in some form. I think people know what the word link means. Well, there's lot. There could be lots of links. It could be that we've reviewed the remake of something and then the original or whatever. We try to be a little bit more abstract with our we little, reviews. A little bit more outside the box. A little bit crazy. A little bit cool. A little bit whoa. A little, little bit, bit whoa. Way. A little bit way. Um, so. What are should we take the people out of their miseries? Out what their is misery. the new thing we're doing this the week? The new thing is the Netflix television adaptation of Cowboy Bebop, which is why I was doing a bit of singing earlier. Awful, awful, yes. And uh, that's not the review of the, yeah, the, the, the show. It's that's awful, it's bloody awful. <laughs> and the second thing the that we are talking thing? about this week is Drumroll, it is Speed, Speed Racer. Racer. From the Wachowskis. And uh, this is just to say that um, while the Machowski, Machowskis? Machowski. Machowskis. While the Wachowskis directed this while they were under their previous um, pseudonym of the Wachowski brothers, they have since transitioned. So we will use she, her pronouns, the Wachowski sisters, or for the sake of brevity, we might just say the Wachowskis. But that's Probably just the to, Wachowskis or it's, the Wachowski it's siblings. Yeah. Uh, but that's just to get that out of the way, clear the air, or use their names, Lana and Lily. And um, on that kind of news, what is the tenuous link between the two shows? Well, they're both adaptations of uh, anime. Yeah, both live adaptations of anime. Both Western adaptations of anime. Exactly. Um, there's quite. I think there's actually quite a lot of thematic links. I think. I think there's so too. Also, some of the pitfalls that that remaking things in the West in a live action format often has. Both are in these films too. And some of the pitfalls are to do with the fact that both of the people doing the adaptations are clearly very, 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 very big admirers of 
what they are adapting and they try to do some things straight like straight on very sincere well save this for save it for (laughs) i think you're getting ahead of yourself getting a bit ahead of the game but we will talk more about that in the bit in a in in the bit in In a bit Uh, but before we do that we've got a couple of things to get out of the way the first one is this week we posted a question on our socials uh, which we also want to remind you all to like and subscribe. That is our Twitter. That is, which we don't do much on, so maybe not the Twitter. Um, that is our Instagram, and that is our Facebook, where we are trying to create a small community of film lovers. We certainly are. And uh, this week we asked the question of, let me just get it up so you can see I'm very, very prepared here. Um, the question was, what's a film you love? that you alone love and defend. You're its lone defender. Best answers will be read out on the next episode. And we may find out why we've chosen this in a little bit as a question. Um, I believe the first answer on our Instagram was from a Robert Hardstone. It certainly was. And what did he say? And he said, almost definitely not alone in this. And that's true. I have heard quite a few people defend this film, but I understand (laughs) where he's coming from. It's the people who dislike this particular franchise dislike it quite a bit and so it's worth the defenders i imagine are quite quite ardent in their defense a bit but he says almost definitely not alone in this but the mark webb andrew garfield spider-man films yes the dialogue was awful uh, and <laughs> and the films ultimately suffered due to sony's efforts to replicate the marvel cinematic universe but goddamn, the camera work and direction is some of the best of any superhero flick and I must say that there is something to be said. I, I don't I, I just put cards on the table. I personally don't agree. I'm I, I'm not a, a big hater of those films. I'm very mild on them. They're they're watchable for me. Uh, but I will say that they try to do some interesting things, especially in the way of trying to delve deeper into Peter Parker's backstory, which uh, wasn't done before. And they they try to. They, certainly the cinematography he did mention there is some interesting choices there I'm not going to be a huge defender but I understand what he's saying what I would say with them is that I think Andrew Garfield is probably my favourite live action Spider-Man he's fantastic I think he gets both parts of it really well and let's be honest of the three actors as an actor as an actor he's probably the one with the most chops as well I mean he, thespian, yeah. how many he's got two Oscar nominations now yeah he is a very good actor um, and yeah he, I think he really liked it and I really liked um, Emma Stone as well I thought I prefer, prefer, and um, their chemistry is of course undeniable because they, yeah. they dated for a while while they were making that and movie after, yeah. and and I also spoiler alert don't think they shat the bed on like a couple of the you know a lot of films kind of don't do the thing that they should be doing that's maybe a bit too dark for audiences and I think it went there and it did that on the end of the second one yeah I, I, I'm alluding I, to. I, yes Yes. Um, but I do also think that, yes, the scripts are quite weak. It's just in as a whole, not even from a, um, uh, just a, just a dialogue point of view. I think they're poorly written, badly structured. The villains never really get a good turn. And that fucking ending for number one, where it's all the stupid crane drivers turn all their cranes in. <laughs> oh, Spider-Man! Oh. The new people of New York love Spider-Man! Um, so yeah um, but no I, I, I can definitely see I think every Spider-Man franchise has its foibles none of them are perfect um, and yeah I can see but can I can see understand like I it. can totally understand why people like it that it makes some individual choices where people go yeah I can gravitate towards that which ironically brings us to our second commenter on Facebook um, which was somebody who commented last week as well Chris Wade Chris Wade a friend of the show and he has said the Amazing Spider-Man 2. So again, there's some, <laughs> some people who really like these movies. But it's the way he defends it. He says, it's hilariously awful, but I'll always watch it if it's on, and it's good fun. I'll skip the Amazing Spider-Man 1 if it's on, because it's boring and super cringe, probably referring to the crane scene and the villain being a, kind of weirdly cheesy. It's not age well, but TASM2 is looking pretty good these days against modern Marvel. And again, the same complaint, and I completely get that. Um, The special effects in particular are top-notch, but the story and some of the performances are so bad it's funny and entertaining. Lines like, it's my birthday, now it's time to light my candles. 
and the electricity fixing the gap in Electro's teeth are brilliant. Fight me! No yeah. one's going to fight you, Chris. No, I can see some of those things there. I think, uh, yeah, it's interesting that we had two answers to this question and they were both the both, same. Both the same, but also had the same complaint that people are really tired of this conveyor belt Marvel Cinematic Universe mm -hmm. kind of slush. And for any of the faults of uh, the Amazing Spider-Man film, and this will come up again, they are, it's, it is made by a filmmaker who has an individual approach, sees it through. It's not for everyone. In fact, you could even say it's not for most people. But it is his approach, and he clearly is very defensive and seems to love that approach very much. Yeah, I think it's interesting that his background, and I say background, he had one film before he got picked to do that. Yeah, 500 Days of movie. Summer. It was 500 Days of Summer, kind of a, a rom-com. They did a couple of interesting things for rom-coms, but um, yeah, it was quite a different thing. Slightly more edgy rom-com for the time when we were living in the sea of Matthew McConaughey and Hugh Grant, who was still around, doing that thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so now, you know, it was a, he's an interesting choice, and I think... I don't think he wrote the script. I think I'm right in saying. Uh, I don't think so. I think but he I'm not. Into I'm it, not uh, confident enough to kind of say <clears throat> yes or no on that. I think maybe he was hamstrung IMDb. by them. Maybe if Sony and let's be honest, Sony at the time were known for meddling in these big budget movies and absolutely. Well, they were very desperate them. to get a franchise because the amazing, uh, the amazing Spider-Man Two tries to introduce a Sinister Six and it goes down really poorly it just it never took off the ground and if anyone wants to see how doing a Sinister Six trilogy turned out you can now you can see Morbius you can see it's Morbin time you can see both Venoms it's Venom time and that's not a meme <laughs> that's not a meme it's Venom time uh, as his favourite catchphrase is known I actually quite like the Venom films. I mean, they're silly. awful messes, Yeah, I quite like them as well. Uh, anyway, moving on, let's get on to the news. As... That's a news jingle. Yeah, if, if you say so. <laughs> um, at least when I was doing it, I was doing the Pearl and Dean sound. There we go. Um, I hope you really enjoyed that. I feel like that's any listeners we had have now I don't think off. totally gone. Along with the Maori listeners who left last week. Yeah. But anyway, um, that would explain why the listening figures went down by 10 last week. Did they? Yeah. Oh, good Lord. All the Maori listeners. All the Maori listeners, they jumped ship. Um, anyway, on another story, um, what is your first piece of news? And there's one piece of news that if you picked it, I'm going to come over there and strangle he, he, you. He is, this isn't the first time I've been threatened by this man. He said that he would come over and he would hurt me if I picked this bit of news. And he, we haven't even mentioned what that news is. We've never said it out loud, but I knew exactly what news he means. So I will be staying far away from that. Uh, instead, I will be something I'm very excited about is there's a new version of Hellraiser coming out. And I always really liked the first two Hellraiser films from the late 80s, early 90s. Doug Bradley, who played Hellraiser, he won't be returning. But uh, the person who is in the trailer for this Hellraiser film looks really cool. And it's a teaser, so it's quite enigmatic. It's holding its cards to its chest. It's not giving away all the clues, but it's going to be on Hulu and it's going to be out around Halloween. Of course, makes sense. Um, but it looks pretty scary it's got some I, I think it has some of that uh, menace that the first two Hellraiser films did not many people like the second Hellraiser film they only go in for the first one but I think both the first and second are really good hopefully it lives up at least to the second if not the first and I'm really excited about that well, that was the piece of news that I wanted oh, to do oh no I'm gonna get strangled anyway it wasn't uh, the more important piece of news this week the most important piece of news the most important piece of news in film in the last like seven eight years it could be the most important piece of film news in history and my clue is 
Six seasons in a movie. It's finally getting a movie. Woo, community. Woo. Community's getting its movie. The prophecy is complete. He's one of those community fans. I'm sorry. The prophecy is complete. He's one of those Dan Harmon fans. I'm not one of those Dan Harmon fans. Yeah, I know, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I will not defend recent Rick and Mortys, that is for sure. Um, but no, it, no, it's, it, um, yeah, Community has got uh, its movie coming. Um, quite, when they announced it all on the Twitter, the tweeting. The Twitterverse. Um, it's going to be on Peacock, which I think in the UK is now TV. So it will be coming to television screens, I assume. And um, yeah, when they were kind of tweeting around about it, someone accidentally tagged Gillian Anderson instead of Gillian Jacobson. I don't know if it was on accident or on purpose. And she said she wants to be in it as well. So that could be a nice little coup. Uh, if all of the stuff they did over lockdown, all the table reads and things are true, it sounds like Donald Glover may be coming back as well, which was always the big question mark. Um, Dan said for a while, Dan Harmon, the creator of Community, uh, said for a while that he has had a, kind of an idea for a movie. So, yeah, be interesting to see if that's what they do. Uh, it seems to be going into production, and I think it's going to be out next year. Oh, wow. I wouldn't be surprised if um, Donald Glover came back for maybe a cameo, because he can then have his cake and eat it. He can still be Mr... Uh, out there doing crazy things and not it doesn't go back to the well but goes back to the well just just to kind of keep keep things fresh and cool with with everyone that he's friends with still well yeah absolutely uh he, and it seems to take him about nine years to make a season of atlanta so he, he must have enough time he must hands. have time and it's not like uh he's coming back for many uh oh i think they are doing a sequel to the lion king so i'm sure he'll be back for that can I say yawn? <laughs> yeah, yes, you can. You can say yawn. Uh, I much prefer him to do a community movie than do I a know. sequel to the bland ass, boring Lion King. The Snoresville Lion King. Oh, uh, we need to make it 20 minutes longer because it's uh, real life. Here's a scene of a turd being rolled up a hill by a dung beetle. Yeah. And oh, yeah, so much emotion in a baby lion cub's face. That can't emote because they can't. They're, they have no. They don't possess those muscles. Anyway, that's enough ranting. That's enough ranting about, about a movie that's got nothing to do with today's episode. Absolutely. Well. Oh, or does it? Live action remakes. Well, yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, on to news piece number two for you, Callum. Yes, a diary has just been released. And I'm always a little bit uncomfortable with posthumous albums, posthumous diaries being released. Because how much say did the family or the person... Um, have in its release um, whether they wanted it to be released but there is a diary coming out from Alan Rickman and it's going to be called um, Truly Madly uh, based on one of his most famous British films Truly Madly Deeply one of I would say probably one of the, the most important early films that he did and it's just little snippets of slightly sarcastic slightly withering actor diary entries in the way that you would imagine an actor would uh, get out so I can read a few. The Guardian have been releasing little snippets and I just want to read a few because they are quite funny. And this is when he was on the set of Dogma. Filming Kevin Smith's Dogma in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Costume fitting. Uh, costume fitting. Versace rules. 3pm read with Linda Fiorentino. She's everything she looks and sounds. Smoky, dark, a coming on disposition. Somewhere in the middle, Ben Affleck crashes in. Later, Matt Damon. The room is suddenly full of baseball caps, popping cans of water slash iced tea slash whatever, peeling oranges, potato chips, cigarette smoke. You bungee jump her way through the script. So they're all in that kind of tone, slightly sarcastic, slightly... You can imagine the fingers on his temples going, oh, Ben Affleck is doing this again. Uh, He gets slightly more uh, sarcastic later on. A rehearsal. Linda asks for two lines out of every five. Has she looked at the scene apart from on the drive-in? I am catapulted into a dark and frowning place, silent with resentment at having to work solo again. And so, a long day with a scene that's all about prosthetics and 80-pound wings, pain versus concentration, and still Linda blows her lines. So that's the tone of it. It's very withering. Well, interesting to see. And uh, does he say if he likes the Harry Potter Pals YouTube video? I, I haven't read that, I'm afraid. I haven't. Maybe. Hopefully he does. Well, that is the most important it's question. It's the most important question. And my second piece of news is more a 
a piece of support for a movie that I'm quite excited for, Bros. Oh, yes. So, Bros came out in America, which, for those that don't know, is a Judd Apatow-produced comedy with Billy Eichner as the lead. Um, is it Eichner's host? It is Eichner, yes. Billy yeah. Eichner. And he it is the, one of the first kind of big-budget studio rom-coms with a gay couple as the, the main lead. Yes. Uh, and a predominantly LGBTQ plus um, cast. And it has got really great reviews 92% on Rotten Tomatoes I think or maybe even higher something very high on Metacritic like high 70s on Metacritic it's one of Judd's most best reviewed films for ages and unfortunately it seems to have bombed in the US I know I saw that I was really sad to see that it made 4.8 million dollars which sounds like a lot of money to you and me but in box office terms it's not great they were hoping for about 10 Um, so I feel like we need to in the UK, and well, American listeners, if you haven't listened to it as well, go out and watch it and support this and help um, the LGBTQ plus community be given more money to make things. Because unfortunately, uh, if this doesn't make lots of money, it may it may not help things. Unfortunately, for a while. this business does run on dollars and cents, and if this movie doesn't make money, they might be reluctant to make more movies like this. I don't think it comes out for several weeks here in the UK, but when it does, we should all go and see it and support it and hope it has a better showing here. And let's also hope that in America, actually, it gets good word of mouth and ends with a reasonable run in the States after 10 weeks. And then a good um, kind of tail on it and streaming and hoping that that sort of uh, catches up with it and makes it a bit more of a cult film. But yeah, so that is my second piece of news and a bit of a plea. Um, So... Secondly, we, we're going to finish the news here and... It's time for the magic to begin. Time for the magic to begin and jump into the main part of the podcast, which is, first off, the new movie. Doom, 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 doom. No, no, don't, don't turn me down again. <laughs> I was just doing a sick bass lick. Anyway. da 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 Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> let's get everybody <laughs> in this stuff like together three two now. one let's jam so um firstly it is the remake remake is it remake i would say anything that falls in the line of a new adaptation could be seen as a remake of cowboy bebop it's a live action remake it is made in the it was actually predominantly shot in new zealand but it is with a Western cast. For those that don't know, anime is a Japanese animation art form, whatever that or style, whatever. But he's really struggling through this one. Basically, isn't he? any animation made in Japan is anime. And it, this was, this is Cowboy Bebop. For those that don't know, is the anime that everyone who likes anime in the West seems to suggest is the anime that got them into it. It was um, when Adult Swim. So Adult Swim is where. Rick and Morty is on now where Family Guy kind of got his second life um, and loads of things like Aquatine Hunger Force and don't hit your microphone <laughs> goodness sake and uh, Aquatine for Hunger Force and all these kind of Space Ghost Ghost Space Ghost Coast, coast to, to Coast, coast. Uh, and, and stuff kind of adult leaning comedy kind of animated economy kind of started used to be a block of tv that was late on um on uh, cartoon network uh, in the states I th- i'm assuming it was in europe as well i think eventually it's got its own channels and blah blah blah. anyway um and this piece of anime was re dubbed in english which was quite rare at the time for series uh, other than like Pokemon and stuff, uh, and is about a group of space cowboys. Now, what is a space cowboy? I hear you asking, Callum. Well, a space cowboy is a sort of bounty hunter. They're given the, um, at the start of most of the episodes, there's a, a little screen that pops up with these kind of ridiculous kind of caricatures of cowboys with like a pinging gun, gun sounds and kind of uh, saloon doors. And like, well, howdy, cowboys. And they set out kind of a bounty. A bounty. They who, say who's this go and get them. 10,000 credits or whatever they call the money. I think it's Oolon. Oolon, yeah, it is Oolon. Um, was it Wulong? Wulong, no, yes, because Oolong's are food. Yeah, Oolong's noodles. Yes, it is. Um, they may eat some Oolong noodles, but no, it's about Wulong. Um, and they 
head off every week to go and catch a bounty. Um, and as they go along, they gather some people with them along the way. Faye, a blue-haired girl who was frozen in cryogenically and doesn't have any memory. Um, a dog called Ein that is like also a supercomputer or computer is a corgi anyway. It gets a bit confused. Smart I, one. Um, uh, I don't think it does if you watch the series, but yeah, I suppose it's too complicated for me to say in this. Uh, a computer hacker kid called Radical Ed. Um, yeah, and that was the, the anime, and there was some some big bad guys and stuff in it that um, kind of follow through. And the live action remake is kind of the same, except you don't get Radical Ed until the post credit of the first episode. Um, and they go off into space, but in live action. Uh, I think that's a fairly reasonable I think, synopsis. I think that's a fair synopsis. <laughs> I think you did it well without spoiling any of the big that was twists and turns. I'm kind of trying to, although I think one of them we're going to have to maybe spoil a bit. A little bit, I think. Got one of the problems with it, but... But I think it's introduced early enough where it's only really a spoiler in sort of... It's a mild spoiler. It'll be more of a spoiler in the anime. Yes, exactly. But that's another story. And so what did you think of it to begin with? Was I sip a glass of water? Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I was covering the space. Where are you now? Um, Mixed. Mixed. I would very much agree. Very mixed. So the fanboys, the anime fanboys absolutely crucified it they hated it they despised every single thing about it um whereas um if you but i think if you people but i am a fan of the anime but i actually don't if someone does something different and new with something i don't mind people remaking things um i'm yeah we're certainly we're ca- we're casual enough anime fans that we can detach. Yeah, I'm not going to be like rah, 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 automatically because they've remade something. Um, and it had some. It has John Cho in it, who I loved, um, who, who I love, who I think is great. Uh, Mustafa. Uh, it's I have it. It's Mustafa Shakir um, as Jet Black. As Jet Black, who does an amazing job. What's the actress called? And Daniela Pineda. Um, so yeah really good actresses there's a lot of good character actors and things in there that pop up in certain episodes as well that you'd recognise from other things Um, and there there is stuff to like about it but the thing the areas where it stays close to the source material in my opinion it doesn't do a very good job of and when it goes away from the source material it also doesn't do a very good job of so the only bits that really work are the bits where it kind of tries to take the feel of the anime but make it more live action-y it felt to me the whole thing like it was trying to walk a tightrope and it kind of wavered and wobbled all along the way but there were moments where it got the balance just right Um, especially the further on that the series got. I felt like they were starting to find their footing around. It actually took a while for me to really get into it. I was, I found myself kind of reluctantly pushing through several times because I found that the first four episodes, they felt too delicate. Like every shot looks like it was something that could be out of an anime. But when you have humans recreating that, it's always going to be a bit slower than the fluidity of animation. So it felt like a bit like um, Zack Snyder's Watchmen, where they were very careful to recreate that frame and recreate that frame. Don't mess around with your microphone. (laughs) It almost felt like it was just too precious. Like every scene was so carefully constructed that they were scared of... Like oh no no don't don't approach no, don't approach don't approach because we've carefully constructed this scene to look like it could be a frame in an anime and I it made me feel like it wants me to admire it it doesn't want me to like it and I felt like uh, and but there was around the episode five mark where they started to ease up on that a little bit I felt like okay I'm having fun now and we're getting into more hijinks territories and they're recreating it very well. Some would say the problem isn't that they were being too precious, but too vicious. <laughs> right, I'm leaving. <laughs> I thought that line about two minutes ago. I haven't really listened to what you've said for about two minutes. Uh, you said the word precious, and I thought, oh, vicious. So the main um, antagonist in the show is called Vicious. And... Vicious is a character from the anime series, except I think he's in maybe two episodes of the anime series. Um, whereas this, 
it's the whole backbone of the show and much weaker for it. And I can understand when you're sitting in a writer's room, oh, this is the way to go. This is, makes so much sense. Let's have, um, you know, let's get this person that people liked from the original one and we build them out into this big, important character. But the actor that plays him is really wet and misses the mark so much. And the things they try and do with him are just a bit... Nothing interesting happens with his character till the last couple of episodes. And then by the time that happens, it's just it is not far that. It's too very late. anticlimactic. It is. And, 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 it, and you don't like the actor anyway. And I just, don't really like the, uh, the act. There's, yeah, yeah. Just to say, his name is Alex Hassel. He's uh, an English actor. But it, there is something incredibly... It gnashes his teeth too much. He has this thing where he's kind of chewing every... He's talking through his teeth and it does get quite irritating. It's his villain pose. It's his villain look. But he's also a bit, just a bit wet. He's a bit like, oh, why is he doing this? Whereas the other, uh, the vicious in the anime is like effortlessly cool. And, blah, 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 blah. and as you said, it is a tightrope between uh, being too reverential, which was the problem with something like Zack Snyder's Watchmen, and which this is in terms of its style, but in terms of plotting, it, it takes some detours and trying to do your own thing. And how how much do you stick to one? How much do you stick to other? the other? How, how much do you waver back and forth? And this did have some issues of kind of deciding what to adapt and what not to. It was interesting because they did take the storyline from some episodes in the anime and put them into this, which makes sense. And I'm, I think if they'd have focused on them more and almost... The th- one of the nice things about Kaori Rebok is, yes, it moved on and it moved forward with a, you know, a long-form story, but there was some quite fun kind of in- individual episodes that, that that kind of lived in their own little world almost. Like, obviously, they, they, they kind of affect the characters and things. Whereas in this, there was only maybe one or two episodes that did that. Every other episode had to have Vicious in it or had to be about the overarching arc and... And when the overarching arc is a bit weak, it's going to ruin the backbone of the show. I did find that there, while there are some episodes that um, are quite... There were some episodes that were quite plot-heavy. There were, uh, as you said, one, maybe two episodes that was just hijinks. There were some episodes, too, that had some plot stuff going on in the background, but were 80% hijinks. And when they focused on John Cho and the rest of the gang, just kind of getting into scrapes, and mix-ups and adventures. And it's like, okay, this I'm, I'm this I'm here for. These guys are really good. They sell it. In in one of the f- more fun episodes, um, which not to spoil too much, is the eco-terrorists one. Yes. Um, for those that have watched it, um, which is there are that is again another plot taken from the anime series. Um, there is a there's a scene that on the internet people have put the Seinfeld bum 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 and stuff and it's meant that, it, that they, there's a scene where Faye runs into a cafe and they're both sitting at a cafe ordering food and she comes in and kind of it's meant to be a bit like Jerry and um and uh George are sitting in the cafe and Elaine comes in kind of and that's what people have kind of compared it to and said it's a bit like that and I 100% think that's almost what they were going for and it kind of felt that episode felt fun and it took the pee out of some of the characters and it was a bit over TT in some places and the humour was a bit weird and a bit and I quite like that episode and there's another one later in where Faye's mother appears again not going into too much detail on it but Faye's mother appears um, and that again is a bit kind of silly and a bit crass at points and, and that that's like they work really well and it's when it was trying to be I mean the original anime of Cowboy Bebop at points is quite serious it's very slow paced and, and this was always going to be different um, the only way you could have really... I mean, it would have needed a much bigger budget to not be different because you you can't really have... I don't think you can have, like, serious and really kind of well done and then have a set that's made out of cardboard and... and that, that is true. It yeah. like, doesn't hold together. So it's going to always have to be have a slightly different feel about it. And I think if they'd have got it working and if they'd have got every episode feeling like that, it probably would have got a second season. But actually, there was too many, like, serious episodes that, that didn't hang together enough. And it's OK to have serious points. And, there was, you know, bits could have worked more, more carefully. But it was just a bit of a mash of ideas and none of them ever seemed to fire on all cylinders. And all I can once. totally understand why it kind of falls between two stools. I can understand why, on one hand casual fans or perhaps people who don't even know Cowboy Bebop at all probably watched it and thought what is this why is their hair so weird and stylized why is the clothes so why are the fight scenes so staccato in the way that they're posing in the way that they do in anime 
And then I can imagine the anime fans, like you said, you said the anime fans were outraged as fanboys are wont to do. I can just imagine that unless you're, it hits right in the center and you're someone like the both of us who are casual anime fans, I can understand it losing almost everyone. Yeah, I can't see it really pulling in a new audience of someone who's never watched any Cowboy Bebop. Exactly. But I also can't really see it appeasing like hardcore anime fans. Like, so who does it? People like us that watch it who know a little bit of Cowboy Bebop, so we can go, oh yeah, they're doing that thing from that thing. You know, enough to, to do that. And also kind of look at it more objectively. Okay, what has this done right and what has this done wrong? Um, it, it worked, you know, it, it worked as a way to kill 10 out of actually what this is I had this is the second time I've watched it for the podcast and actually I quite enjoyed it the first time and I found bits of it a real slog this time around I really found it quite hard work at least the first four or five episodes I eventually got into the groove started having fun started liking them but the first I because I knew we were reviewing it it at times it felt like an obligation and yeah. I found myself going okay you can watch one episode of Cowboy if you watch one episode of Cowboy Bebop you can watch three episodes of Cobra Kai yeah almost yeah. to reward myself to kind of get through it yeah it, it, uh, I, I kind of think I liked it a bit more than that but it did take me a while to get going and then I think almost it got a bit of momentum towards the end it did although it I didn't really like the last to, episode yeah, but that's it was, another story it was starting to find find a bit of a groove and then I kind of when they were like is that, if anyone doesn't know um, and shows how relevant and up to to scratch our podcast is it's already been cancelled it was pretty much cancelled instantly they're like it came out big thing there's a big important post credit scene where they introduce a character that's going to be massive and there's a big press releases about it two days later uh, uh, cancelled um, and obviously like they it must have had zero viewers and terrible reviews which is that- really hard for Netflix because it's kind of there are shows that people will just throw on in the background mm-hmm. just to have something on while they're doing the dishes. And so they didn't even seem to get that. And there are some shows that you see on Netflix, they really push. And this was one of them. Yeah. But like there were some shows that never ever, you know, just find an audience or, you know, it kind of like it appears on there and then everyone's talking about it. And you don't see it like pushed at the top of the thing and billboards and stuff. But this Bebop was obviously one of their ones that they were like, this is going to be the big one for, I think it was November it came out. This is going to be the big show for November. This is going to take, you know, half of our marketing budget. We're going to do all these things with it and stuff. And it was just a flop, a massive, massive flop. It really was. I've, uh, you're the only other person I know who's watched it. And I know <laughs> really? so many people who've watched the, um, I know so many people who watch the anime series. Yeah, it, like we were saying, it just didn't seem to pull in the people that it was intending to pull in it just seemed to catch no one yeah i think that's it and i think that's where it kind of didn't work and it's a shame because i would have liked to have seen a second series and would have liked to have seen it pull itself together if it didn't pull itself together then i probably wouldn't have watched a third but it had there was it had the right cast visually i quite enjoyed it even though it did feel cheap at times but then expensive for tv i suppose you know when you're See, making a 10 hour movie I've, we've spoken about this before but i really didn't like some of the ways it looked it in the ways that it was trying to recreate a, an anime style by having these uh dutch an- angles and these kind of very weirdly framed shots which work in animation but here just kind of looked awkward See, I. Again, I think maybe it's an issue of budget, but I quite like that stuff. I kind of, I like, uh, I like things to feel a bit jaunty and a bit strange and a bit, you know, Mr. Robot off center and, and stuff. And I did think some of the visuals were good. I actually thought, like, some of the, admittedly static, but when they had the, 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 the Bebop, which is the name of the spaceship, we haven't mentioned that already, I don't think we have, but um, when they had the Bebop, like, parked in, in rivers and things and they were standing by, I liked it and I liked the, I don't know, I quite liked it visually. I liked what they'd done with all their costumes and and considering the, you know, it's a TV series, I thought some of the sets looked pretty impressive at times as well. Some of them were janky as fuck as well, but, you know, it had its moments. I found it, it was worst affected in the fight scenes because anime does this thing where, because they don't have as many frames per second as Western animation, they make every frame count and make it look really cool, have a pose. So they tend to have fight scenes where a there's a bit of fluidity and then someone stops, grabs a knee and poses for like a millisecond, but then it moves a bit faster than real life to catch up with where it was. Of course, 
humans can't do that. Humans can move at the speed that humans can move. So they would do these things. And they, for the best will in the world, John Cho is not a fighter and the stuntmen can only move as fast as stuntmen can move. Um, so while they were doing very well done choreogra uh, choreography, uh, they would do these kicks and punches and then John Cho would grab, at, grab an arm or grab a knife out of someone's hand and pose in front of the camera for a second. And it slowed the pace of those fight scenes right down. And I found myself thinking, no, 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 don't, don't do that. We get it. It's an anime. Just don't do that. Just, just have a fight. Have a fight. Have a scrap. Have a scrap. So it'll be look a lot cooler if you just have a scrap. Some of the some of the slower fight scenes I thought worked, but yeah, and some of the shorter ones, but yeah, they weren't as a whole that good. There was a few things I quite liked. I quite liked when they would spin John Cho round. Yes, and stuff. Some of it did work, and then some of it didn't. And yeah, it's definitely flawed. It's it's a frustrating one because I think. They've had a good go at it, and they got some things right, and they've clearly missed the mark on some things. And the, going back to those Spider-Mans a bit from earlier, mm -hmm. the scripts just aren't there quite. The 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 dialogue at times is good, and I just think for all the actors and things they're in it, it could have been such a better show with with minimal tweaks. Almost. And it is frustrating the fact that there are things to like. If it was completely irredeemable, we could have just written it off, but we can't because there's enough to like in it. We go, oh, if they just did that, they just did this. It's a shame. But as we say, Netflix has written it off. So yes. that was Cowboy Bebop. Yes, it was. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And next, shall we go on to a film universally panned by critics? Cost Universal, I want to say. Was it Universal? No, no, it's Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, $150 million. And it has only one fan in the world. <laughs> and I am going to pass you over to that fan to give you a plot synopsis. So, 2008 Speed Racer by the Wachowskis. It's uh, a adaptation of a 1960s anime, and anime in the 1960s looked a lot, a lot different to how it looked now. It was a lot more cheesy, uh, had a sort of ah oh, shucks mentality, and it's about this kid, Speed Racer. Uh, his brother dies, um, and is uh, Rex Racer. Rex Racer, and. Uh, is uh, accused of doing all these things. He said he's a dirty f uh, racer. He, no, um, he's, he's racing for the bad guys. And Speed and his family, Pops Racer, Ma Racer, and the little kid brother, they are trying to continue. Yeah, whatever his name is, Bridal Bridal Racer. Um, What's they, the monkey called? Chim Chim. Chim Chim Racer. Chim Chim Racer. They try to continue on as this kind of what well, literally a mom and pop. Operations, so they they they're not part of the big business conglomerate. Uh, but Speed Racer is so good that all these um, capitalistic uh, conglomerates are after them, and one day it gets a knock on the door from a very uh, obviously evil uh, capitalist. He's played by a British actor, Roger Allen, so you know he's evil. And he does like pancakes, though. He does like his pancakes, and he tries to. Um, uh, bring him into the fold of his Royalton Industries and he basically tells him straight up if you don't sign with me you will never win and we'll make sure we'll fix every race your family will be uh, put through ruins you'll never race and it's just about speed and his family trying to come through uh, through that uh, the kind of the evil side of things and to do things their way to prove that no 
with, with a little bit of family spirit and our shucks mentality, we can uh, be the great racers. We can do it with uh, just a family mentality. And uh, stylistically, it's very close to those 1960s animes, very bright colors. The acting is all very stylized. Like I said, it, every actor plays it in a sort of wide-eyed shucks. Gee, Willikers, say it ain't so. So before I, because if you let me off the hook, I will just go and go. So before I do, I, I want to hear the opinion of the man sitting across from me, who I know for a fact wasn't a fan because we watched it together last night and he was half asleep through at least the last <laughs> half. <laughs> I didn't actually fall asleep, but I was getting close. Um... Yeah, I wasn't a fan. Uh, <laughs> I really actually wanted to like it because the kind of thing that I do kind of quite like sometimes. I like that kind of scrappy, colourful movie. But I felt like the whole... It was really long for a start. It is about two hours and 15 minutes long. I, and it feels like it has about seven minutes of storyline in it. And about 15 subplots? Yeah, none of which ever really get tied there, up. There are or... characters who come in and out. Like, we never really find that much about Sparky. Is Sparky a brother? Or does he work for them? As far as I understand, at least uh, according to the original anime, he is kind of just a guy that works for them. He's like a mate. Um, and that is the thing. I, uh, we were talking <laughs> earlier today. There was a deliberate reason why I asked the question, what's a movie that you're a lone defender on? And for both people, uh, for Rob and Chris, who answered that question uh, with the amazing Spider-Man, they both said, look, I know it's not good. I, I know that. But there's a lot of things that I love about it, and it's a very personal thing. And what they also mentioned is that, uh, and, you know, compared to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, God, blimey. So all the things that we've mentioned so far, that it's about 17 different subplots, seven minutes of plot, Two oh, and a half and, hours long. And the young brother. And the young so brother who's annoying. incredibly annoying and incredibly irritating, despite all that. And the CGI is appalling. And I know it's meant to be, like, colourful and OTT, but it's just bad. Despite all that, I really like it. I really like it. it there, there's there's a sincerity to it, which, I, fr frankly, I don't think we see much anymore because every... Every well, going back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're all made with such cynicism. Um, I, I'd like to pause you ever so slightly <laughs> there, in that, and I'm going to defend Marvel slightly here. You can see the thumbs of the accountants in every single Marvel movie. Oh, absolutely. But some of them are fucking well put together, great movies with really good storylines, with told by people that genuinely you can see care about what they've written and what they're doing and you can see that the directors are struggling against um the, those, the disney the, machine the, the, those accountants and the success of those movies individually come with how much they've managed to wiggle through and when you look at the speaking of brothers slash siblings the russo brothers mm -hmm. like what they did with those movies fair play to them like they have managed to put together three or four, four really good movies where i do think they're sincere and i do kind of feel ever so for for, for as much as i can on a big bu budget blockbuster feel a bit emotive having said that the other side of marvel is churning out a million tv series 17 a year exactly. or whatever they're doing now and all the filler movies and that it, really aren't it that great. It does become easy to get fatigued and... Just, oh, I'm so Marvel and a, fatigued. And a bit but I, I just thought, I thought you were going, all Marvel movies oh, okay. are cynical, money-grabbing things. And yes, but as is, with all movies, as the, they're this, designed to make money. I mean, I know they may never... I know that no one ever probably expected Speed Racer to make $150 million back. And that is like on the back of... a child's um, fever dream. And it is on the back of Warner Brothers to kind of not, like just give the Wachowskis all the money in the world just because The Matrix was such a big hit. They still had to vet this project and seemingly they didn't. <laughs> and bearing in mind, there's no really big names in it. Like, no one's a big, big name. No, no, there isn't because uh, it stars Emile Hirsch as um, Speed Racer and at the time he was a rising star but he hadn't, he never quite broke out to Super A-list. And obviously it's got Jeff Goodman in it. Jo John Goodman. John Goodman, sorry. That's Pops Racer. It is, but it's Pops Racer. But, you know, he's not getting paid $10 million or anything. Oh, no, so, certainly not. So, 
and I can't see where there's no sets pretty much there's like and if there are they're made of cardboard it was in that period uh, do you remember Sky Captain and oh, the World it of felt, Tomorrow it get, oh, that was something I was going to say it felt like Sky Captain CGI you it can is. see the glowing around people you, there, there is some uh, feathering around people because they do so many so many of the um, transitions in this film is oh my god they just Unconstant swipes of, ma- of uh, around the face with people spinning around, literally humans spinning around as a wipe. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's really <laughs> anyway, but that's not the point. But, but what I'm trying to say is, I feel like they, from a point of view of what they actually had to accord, they needed a room with a green screen in it and some B and C list actors. So they must have spent about 11 million dollars doing the initial. Pre, you know the initial production. I uh, and imagine in that neighbourhood, a hundred and forty million dollars doing the post production. Yes, I would guess. And so. how did no one at Warner Brothers watch a cut together of it before the post? Post production. We have yeah. really shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> Stop, Stop this. This is. Let's just waste ten million dollars because we're going to spend one hundred and fifty million dollars, and then we're going to waste another hundred million dollars marketing. Stop this. the presses. Stop the presses. And I'm uh, sorry, Wachowski siblings, but you need to go. Even um, uh, in the last Matrix, there was clear that the uh, the plug had been pulled out. You know that they were going to be losing someone money, but I suppose they had a contract, and this, I suppose the Matrix. Trilogy. And it's the Matrix. Like it was, I'm sure they thought, oh well, this is the cheapest one. This is the cheapest Matrix we've made, and I'm sure you'll make that back eventually on streaming. Yeah. I Whereas think... I, the struggle that we had to find somewhere to get to, to we, watch, we had Speed to Racer. rent it on Amazon. There's nowhere playing it, and we tried to find the DVD in various shops. Went to two CEXs. One of them just has the biggest section of DVDs you've ever seen. It had like three. 100 DVDs beginning with S. It had like two, three copies of movies that no one's ever seen, like Michelle Gondry's The Science of Sleep. And yet no copies no of copies Speed Racer. Speed Racer. Uh, it's and like, it's also... <laughs> it's like it's been scrubbed from existence. And uh, if, if we recall the um, how in Star Wars, uh, episode one, uh, George Lucas is clearly very occupied with taxes. That was his big concern. This film is similarly, it's like, a, this is a children's movie where the plot is about... The entire plot, in fact, is about stock manipulation. I know. However, having said all that, it just works for me. I, <laughs> I, I found myself get really quite moved by the family saga. I, I like the <laughs> I don't understand how the sincerity and the cheesiness. It works. And, for oh me. my god! I saw the twist coming from the first minute. I said about uh, Racer X. Yeah, because we can spoil this one. Um, Speed's brother dies uh, from a big explosion. And, and shockingly, the guy that sounds like him is about the same height as him. Kind and wears of looks a mask. like him and wears a mask the whole time. Shockingly, is his brother. Although, admittedly, he has had plastic surgery to make him look slightly less like him. To look like Matthew Fox from Lost. Managed to... Yeah. yeah. Why would anyone choose... I mean, he's a handsome enough guy, but I, I, I wouldn't point to his face and go, that, I want that. <laughs> In fact, the uh, younger guy probably was a bit better looking. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but despite all that... I know the flaws. I understand the flaws entirely. I just like it. I just, I, I just, it makes me smile. It makes me giddy. It's one of the, it's a guilty pleasure movie. I know, but and I know that everyone has these two at least some extent. But I just, it just works for me. And by the end of it, when when the big race happens, and there's a moment, and there's a moment during the big race that his his car is um, sabotaged, and he has to do, he, he finds a way to get it back. And going and during that scene flashes back to all his family a bit like uh, the scene in Spider-Man into the Spider-Man I just want to say Callow is making this sound way better and more <laughs> epic than it actually looks um, in the film when the, the what's up danger scene in Into the Spider-Verse where he remembers all of his family kind of giving him inspirational speeches if you're going into this looking for Into the Spider-Verse you're going to be sorely disappointed that scene because it's on, on YouTube the last three minutes of the race I've seen that like 50 times now I watched that kind of when I'm bored I watched the last you know, I can recite it line for line holy cow he just shattered the lap record he's on a mission if if, uh, if you think I should be racing why don't you tell me why racing is so important that's for you to figure out I just hope that when you figure it out that I'm there to see it remember that night that we watched old Ben Burns win the race at Stickleton something just clicked 
I'm a, I'm a flood of tears. You know, I've, I've cried at that scene. It just works. It just works for me. Knowing that it's about stock, stock manipulation, knowing it's two and a half hours long, knowing it's got nine different subplots, none of which tie together, knowing it's got seven minutes of plot, uh, knowing that the acting is... No, actually, I, I will give the acting a pass unironically because I do think that it perfectly recreates that sort of uh, 1960s, ah, gee, Willikers. It, it's very kind of, you know, everybody's playing it wide-eyed. <laughs> Stop filming me. Um, one thing I will say that is unironically good, and I, I think you can agree here, is that Roger Allen as the villain is biting his dialogue with every, every bit of scenery that comes between his teeth. He's enjoying himself a lot. Because I read an interview with Roger Allen um, around the first time I saw Speed Racer. For anyone who doesn't know who Roger Allen is, it is um, uh, Peter Mannion MP from The Thick of It. Yes, yes. And he's been in uh, uh, Endeavour and um, lots of radio programmes. So he's, he's very well known here. But he had this dream that he was going to become the next Alan Rickman type villain actor. He, he really wanted it. He really, really wanted it. So when he had the one opportunity that came to him, because no one's offering Roger Allen blockbusters, but when he got the one opportunity, he took it. And the only thing that makes a speech about stock manipulation sort of even a little bit fun is that he is really snarling through every line of dialogue. This is my religion, boy. He's like, these. this is a man having fun. But it's not quite network, is it? It is not quite network. But he is... I really do... And again, that's another scene he, I've watched quite is, a lot. I will, I will give you this point. I can see this point. He is hands down the best thing in it. And he's really... He's, he's like really munching the scenery. the scenery. And I mean, that scenery looks chewable as it well. Looks chewable. It looks chewable. It looks like a candy floss. Um, yeah, he is chewing the scenery. He is fun. I mean, he's an interesting six minutes of the two-and-a-half-hour movie. <laughs> um, and I will give him that much. It also has credit. one of the best lines of dialogue in any film ever. Ninja? <laughs> More like a nonja. Terrible what passes for a ninja these days. <laughs> oh, I actually think John Goodman's very good. He, he gets the tone. John Goodman's quite fun in it. Um, but he does do these kind of films occasionally where he's just obviously just going, this is ridiculous, but I'm just going to have some fun. He really he seems to get the tone. He knows that he uh, whether he knows the uh, source material or whether he knows um, uh, the tone that the Wachowskis are going for. He knows that it's sort of that... I'm the dad in a racing in a, in a 60s anime racing team. Everything line I say is blustery. You know, he blusters with it, bluster. Well, anyway, I'm going to stop you there and I'm going to tell you what I think of the movie. <laughs> yes, I have talked for far too long. Um, yeah, it's... What's some redeeming features of it? So I watched the original anime series intro last night. And there was a bit at one point where Speed Racer jumps out of the car and does this, stands at this weird angle, and then the camera moves at a weird angle. I was like, "What are they fucking doing with the camera?" And then I watched the um, the intro, and I was like, "Oh, that's what happens on the intro." He jumps out of the car and then stands at a weird angle, and the camera kind of moves around the front of him. Um, and that kind of made more sense after seeing that. Um, and I think that's it. I think actually this is where again uh, uh, through a mass. Uh, kind of massive amount of luck where these two things kind of gel in my mind between Bebop and this in that there are some good elements I kind of like where they've shot for I like that they've kind of that someone has given them 150 million dollars to make what is a colourful mess I like that um, that they have tried to kind of get the spirit of the, the anime well like you say that kind of like 60s oh shucksness and um, the way that the, the the family dynamic works, and I think that's quite fun, and it is quite you know positive and uplifting overall. I don't know quite where you get this emotional depth from from it, but <laughs> uh, I don't think that's quite there. But you know, it is fun, but it is a complete mess. It just like you say, there's 17 subplots that never really get finished, and side characters that get introduced, and then you don't really 
Nothing really ties up from them. Because yeah, there's they a do- Japanese racer who's a big part of the plot for about half an hour, and then he isn't. Yeah, and he isn't at the start, and he doesn't. And there's so many things where I'm like, well, that wasn't really explained. Like that thing's just happened, or the visuals were so murky, I wasn't quite sure what happened. Like when Rex Racer dies, I was like, what? What's that? And they were like, oh, these disappeared. There's a fire or something. And I was like, that doesn't really look like a fire. Why is it? Why is it in a tunnel? Why is it not? Right? Why is it? It didn't really explain anything, and then it kind of later on explained it more because it said this is this rally and it's different type of racing and blah blah blah. It just didn't kind. And for anyone out there, I'm a massive race car fan, so I know about racing, and I still just found some of the stuff baffling and confusing in it. And some of the, I don't know. It, I get on one hand that it's trying to copy an anime, and it's a bit meant to be a bit ridiculous. But some of it was just too too ridiculous, and they could have just done with some scissors and focusing the storyline. And again, maybe it's I find it frustrating that there probably is. I don't think there's a five star Oscar winning movie in there, but there's probably a you know reasonable fun Boxing Day afternoon movie in there. But it's two hours and twenty minutes long, and has loads of pointless bits and some really annoying characters and. It just doesn't really work for me on many levels as much as I kind of wanted it to. And I did go in wanting to go, oh, actually, no, it's fun. I quite like it. And I just didn't really. I like what it tried to do, but it didn't do what it tried to do. Okay. I think that's uh, I think that's my fair, your, honest your, opinion. Your summation. So, yeah. And let's, I think that probably quite neatly brings us towards the end of our reviews unless you have anything else to uh, add. no no nothing I'm sure you do but I oh, I, yeah I could go on but I yeah. won't um, Callum will have his own special edition of the podcast it's 17 <laughs> hours long nearly as long as Speed Racer the, the Speed Racer Chronicles yeah <laughs> I'll go into how it it uh, tweaks the hero's journey in an interesting way and uh, it's parallels to the trans community I've read lots of essays about that but that's because every movie, every uh, um, film that Wachowskis make will get uh, an essay like that. Which, which actually was another link that was something we didn't talk about in Bebop that I did think we might talk about and I forgot to talk about is that actually the there is Bebop some fluidity. does a couple of yes. interesting representations and was quite kind of lauded by some of the, the trans community and things. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's another story. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, another connection between them. We just, you know, we pick these things on purpose because we know there's so many connections. And fairness, there this are, one, we didn't uh, know there was some quite good connections. Th- there are some essays and stuff written by far smarter people than us about those issues, which I'm sure you can find exactly. on any uh, Google. We would just mangle it, honestly. Yeah. But anyway, what is your quick summary slash score for Bebop? I really wanted to like it. I think we're going to fall on opposite sides of the coin here. Like you said, you really wanted to like Speed Racer. I really wanted to like this, but it took me about four or five episodes, maybe even a bit more than that. Maybe I wasn't really kind of in the groove until Faye's mum came along, which I think was about episode six or seven. Yeah, seven, I think. Maybe. And so, it's quite a long yeah, way it's, it's quite a long way in. And I was starting to see, okay, maybe if they'd got a second season and it continued in this vein, it would have been a lot better. But um, I just found it hard work. I felt, I felt like it was homework, honestly. And I, like I said, I felt like there was a preciousness to it, like admired not to be touched. So I, I, I'm afraid I can't give this higher than I think four out of 10, just because I was really struggling, and despite the efforts of the cast, who were great. I actually think that's quite a reasonable review. Um, I think you can only review it on what is actually there. And I think... What I want to be there and what I think quite possibly could have been there in a second season doesn't mean you can... It's all about the could have. Exactly. Which is a shame. And because of that, I'm going to give it a slightly higher. I'm going to give it a five because I did enjoy the the music okay. they got the original orchestras back and yes stuff they to did the, the seatbelts exactly did like some of the visual stuff I did like the acting um, uh, and I think there was a lot of potential in there but it just didn't hang together and there was also a couple of really bad actings yes I think that's fair I think that's very fair and what do you think of Speed Racer? I refuse to be objective about this <laughs> and like I said I know that there are things that don't work but it just works for me. So I'm going to give this... I'm struggling between eight and nine. Wow. Fuck me. But I'm going to go for... Fuck it. I'm going to go for nine. I love this movie. <laughs> I love this dumb movie. I love it. 
So I was trying to think what I think objectively. So objectively, <laughs> and I'm going to give it a extra point for fun. I think if I was objectively scoring it, I would give it maybe a three. Oh wow! But I think what I actually need to do is not objectively score it and balance out Callum's score. So I'm going to give it a one. Wow. <laughs> to help balance out Callum's score because I don't want you guys getting an, um... any wrong ideas yeah exactly Oops, sorry, I knocked the camera that was Callum it was me it was me I'm sorry more than I have ever knocked sorry the that was a big one that was a big clunk as well it was oh, a big was just that, was a, that was a sucker punch as well it wasn't it wasn't a light tap <laughs> that was his anger exploding yes! giving speed racer a one <laughs> no no what, what's the levels Callum sorry. what's the levels um Yes, so anyway, uh, so what does that give it? A five? Oh, gosh, math. Um, I think so. I don't know. One, actually. <laughs> one plus nine divided by two is five. So we're going to okay, give it a five. five. We'll say that's a five, five out of ten, which I think is possibly. Probably. I still wouldn't quite give it that, but I think it's That's in a probably range. closer to what the real score is. <laughs> On IMDb, it has a six, so. What? A six on IMDb may as well be a four. What has it got on, Isn't it like 19 on Rotten Tomatoes? Yes, something. something. 19%. So I'll, uh, well, Rotten Tomatoes, let's see. I will give it as an aggregator. A, uh, just a, a very quick... Uh, on uh, Mark Kermode's podcast, this man looks up something on, on a computer. Yeah, and this one is man looks something up on his phone. Fill the space. It's got 37 yeah. on Metacritic. <laughs> um, that, yeah, but not Metacritic, come on. Uh, which is uh, what IMDb uh, defaults to. So I'm just going to go quickly to Rotten That's Tomatoes. That's interesting. What, they got 37? No, that it defaults to... It's got a 41 on, on, okay. uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. So I, I was going to give it between three and four, so I seem to connect more with the reality. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Callum is in an alternate universe. <laughs> Where it's... The great movie, the great movie that never got the cult fandom it deserved. It deserved. Maybe because off the back of this podcast, it will make its hundred and fifty million dollars back. Maybe in three pound fifty at a time rentals off of uh, iTunes. Remember that night that we sat and watched old Ben Burns on do that oh, uh, God, race? I'm going to turn your microphone. Everything again. just clicked. I'm going to turn the microphone off. Anyway, uh, I think that is it for this week. So. Thanks very much, and uh, tune in again soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Ciao, Bella. Bye. What are they fucking doing with the camera?